Welcome to Good Christophian Talks. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. And I'm Brian. Thank you for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help us get the Bible in our daily newsfeed. We post a new episode at the start of each week with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to listen to. And now, let's talk more about this week's talk. This week's talk is an exhortation by Brother Glenn Williams from the New Land Ecclesia in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, it's titled Well Pleased. I really enjoyed this exhortation. Um, it's very meditational, and Brother Glenn actually starts with the line that you've heard before where I'm going to be quoting a lot of scriptures, so don't, basically don't feel a need to, uh, to, <laughs> to keep up. You can just uh, med- you know, meditate and be exhorted, and I think that, is, that was really an apt uh, um, suggestion from him because he does go through quite a lot of references on this concept of what makes God well-pleased um, and examining that phrase. So in a way, that's actually perfect for a podcast because you're likely listening to this not with your Bible in front of you. And I think uh, with that in mind, this, this exhortation is almost designed for that. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It was really benefited by it, um, kind of by the meditation. I listened to this whole one, this whole uh, exhortation in my car on a single drive and, uh, and definitely uh, was left in an uplifted place. Um, I think that it's a, a really... A uh, really great, uh, well-constructed talk. Excited to share it. Uh, this was a suggestion, and um, we're very thankful for that. Uh, so thank you to the sister who sent it in. Uh, please do send us all your suggestions if you have a good talk or you get or hear a good exhortation. Um, we we really benefit uh, from all the feedback we get. Uh, so this is well pleased by Brother Glenn Williams. Well, good morning, my beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. By way of exhortation this morning, we're going to look at the idea of I am well pleased from God's perspective. And to do that, we're going to look at three examples through scripture. Each one is a reflection of the other, and it helps develop a fuller understanding of what really makes God well pleased. And in turn, as we investigate this, it's going to show us what he actually expects of us and also what he's actually prepared to give us. So as per normal... In the cases of these types, the very first one that we're going to look at briefly is in Genesis chapter 1. It's the creation record. Now, we'll be um, using quite a lot of scripture this morning, and if you wish to have um, all my quotations, I can get those to you later. Um, But just let the word of God wash over you this morning, um, rather than trying to frantically um, turn up these quotations. So what do we have in Genesis? Well... It's a, one of my favourite parts of scripture, you know, where we have this, this unfinished mass, this, the world covered in water with no purpose and no form. And um, verse 2 says that the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the depth. And in the Hebrew we get this idea, it says, Faha erez hayatatohu vavohu vavroshek so the earth was formless, tohu and vohu. These words literally mean it had no form, no structure, no purpose. So it's out of this chaos that God promised that something was going to happen. 
And it was seen there with the Spirit of God. And what was it doing? It was hovering upon the face of the waters. In the Hebrew it says there, Faruach Elohim, Merafet El Hamayim. So the Spirit of God was poised, and you could see it hovering and just shaking with power, waiting to be released by the voice of God. And God said, Let there be light. Yehi Or. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God, in that very first part of the scriptures, separates light from darkness. So we have this divine model. Out of chaos, the darkness of an unshaped, unformed world, the voice of God was heard and light was revealed upon the world for the very first time. And in God's creative act, he looked at it, and once he had created man, he says that this is very good. So he took pleasure, didn't he, in his creation. He said it was very good. He didn't say he was well pleased because, you see, his creation had yet to be tested, and that's the subtle difference. So God introduced a law. Not a whole lot of laws. One law, don't eat of that tree. Man did, of course, as we know, and death came as a result, and man was expelled from the garden. So what did God really expect from Adam and Eve then? Well, God expected the sacrifice of obedience. He wanted Adam and Eve to obey him and not eat of that tree of the garden. So what can we learn from this lesson here in Genesis chapter 1? What went wrong? You know, how could something that was very good become condemned? Well, Romans chapter 5 gives us the answer. God was not well pleased with Adam and Eve because uh, Paul to the Romans says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And Samuel picks up this idea in 1 Samuel 15 where he says, Hath Yahweh as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. God requires obedience, brothers and sisters, more than sacrifice. So there was going to be a consequence, wasn't there? And that was, we know from Genesis 3.15, that the heel was to be crushed and bruised until that time when the head of the serpent could be crushed and put to death. So from that very moment, brothers and sisters, the daily walk of mankind was affected in every painful step that we took in life. Our heel is bruised, crushed by the sin nature that we bear. So the result, of course, is the fall. They're cast out of the garden and the way to the tree of life was closed. God was displeased because of unrighteousness. So that's the model we have, the template that failed in Genesis. And now we're going to see this template applied to the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the first time that happens, brothers and sisters, is in the event of his baptism. Once again, there is darkness upon the face of the earth. It's a Gentile night. It's going to be broken by the voice of God who's going to reveal the light of the world in fulfilment of Isaiah 42, which says, Behold my servant, behold my servant whom I uphold. Mine elect, says God, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit in him. 
he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Verse 6. I, Yahweh, hath called thee in righteousness. I will hold thy hand. I will keep thee. And I will give thee for a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what happened at the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 3, isn't it? Lo, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you know what strikes me the most, brothers and sisters, about that? Is that to this point, Jesus has not done anything. He hasn't gone and preached the gospel in the temple. He hasn't taught it in the wilderness. He hasn't healed the sick. He hasn't walked on water. He hasn't turned water to wine. He hasn't fed 5,000. He hasn't raised the dead. He hasn't died. He hasn't been resurrected. And he hasn't ascended to the right hand of his father. Yet God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He has performed no great acts. Because God could see those daily steps that the Lord Jesus Christ was taking in his life before he did those great acts of service. Every day his heel was bruised by the decisions he made for his father. In him, I'm well pleased. God does not expect great things from us, brothers and sisters, but he does expect the sacrifice of obedience. Not our will, but his to be done. And this was seen in Christ. The writer of the Hebrews in chapter 5 tells us that although he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto them that obey him. That's the principle, brothers and sisters, isn't it? Peter says... The elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the covenant that we need to be in, brothers and sisters. These are the sacrifices that God is well pleased with. In Hebrews 11, in the chapter of faith, it talks about the faithful Abel, doesn't it? He offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. What was important about that? Well, this is a sacrifice by which he obtained a witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and that by it being dead yet speaketh. That's phenomenal, brothers and sisters, isn't it? It was offered in obedience by the, the, the process that he had seen done before, the slaying of the lamb for the covering of sin. The first, flocks, first of his flock was offered in that way. And he was declared righteous. That's the Greek idea of the word martyr, which is used twice in that verse. And it means to give testimony and to give evidence and to bear witness. So who was this person that was bearing witness and testifying on behalf of the dead Abel? That was God himself, brothers and sisters. God gave evidence on behalf of Abel. And God is prepared to do that for the righteous. Isn't that phenomenal? So how can we apply this to ourselves? What is good and acceptable? Well, Peter says that we're living stones built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. And he says to offer up, this is our purpose, to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. 
Well, that's great. We know that we have to do these spiritual sacrifices, but, but Peter, what are they? Well, Paul to the Romans starts to define them. He says, yield yourselves up to God, not as instruments of unrighteousness under sin, he says, but as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That's what God requires of us. Our lives are to be his instruments. So how else can we do this? We can do it with what we do. Well, the writer of the Hebrews says it's not just that, it's also the sacrifice of our lips. Hebrews 13 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. We are to do good, we are to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And Paul to the, to, um, the Philippians shows us how that happened in a real life situation where he was talking about the gifts that Epaphroditus brought from the ecclesia to him. And he says, you know, I've received these gifts that were sent from you as an odour of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. You see, brothers and sisters, we're starting to build up a picture of what God is well-pleased with. The things that we do, the things that we say, how we communicate, how we do good one, with one another, how we support one another in times like this with love and care and whatever we have at our dispense. And that rises to God as a sweet-smelling savour of an acceptable sacrifice in which he is well-pleased. The other thing that we're told in the Psalms that God um, will not despise is a broken and a contrite spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These things God will not despise. So God requires from us a sacrifice of our lives. Paul expounds that idea when he says, you know, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, because that's, your, that's the bare minimum. That's the, that is the reasonable service. If you want to go beyond that, that's fine, but that's the minimum. God expects all of your life, all of the time. And if you can add to that, do. It's the principle in Deuteronomy, isn't it? It says, you know, thou shalt live the, love the Lord thy God with 2% of thy heart, with some of thy soul, and with, with any of your might or strength that's left over from, from working hard doesn't say that at all, does it, brothers and sisters? We know that. It says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Well, sometimes, you know, we're so exhausted and we, we, we turn that focus on ourselves and we ask that question, can we really say that of ourselves? What if we could? It was said of Josiah, 2 Kings, wasn't it, 23? Like unto him, there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, according to all of the law of Moses, and neither after him rose there any such like him. Phenomenal words. But that's what God expects. That was what God was well pleased. God requires all of us, all of the time. That's what's well pleasing. So the requirement that needed to be 
done, of course, was the heel had to be bruised because of what happened in Genesis. And in the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can see this process demonstrated, can't we? Uh, uh, where he daily was prepared to walk every painful step, crushing that nature, until that day when he finally crucified it upon that cross. That was seen in his baptism, wasn't it? What he was prepared to do. And when we look at the Matthew record of his baptism, we have this really interesting expression. When Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised of him, that's John the Baptist, John forbade him and says, I have need to be baptised of you, and you, you come to me? And Jesus answered him and said this, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfil righteousness. And when he'd suffered him, Jesus was baptised, and straight away as he came up out of the water, though the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And lo, the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. For thus it becometh us to fulfil all righteousness. I thought, I thought that was the work of Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ was going to come, and he was going to fulfil all righteousness. But Jesus says, no, 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 John. I need to be baptised of thee. It's for us to fulfil all righteousness. A sinful man and a sinless man, brothers and sisters, together they would fulfil all righteousness. The glory of God demonstrated in them together will fill the earth with God's glory. That's something that Christ could not do by himself, brothers and sisters. Isaiah 60 says, Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come into thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. And that's what Christ was going to do. He's going to draw the Gentiles and the kings of the earth to righteousness in the face of God. John the sinner, Jesus the sinless one, both declaring God right, that all flesh must be put to death, says Isaiah 40. The words of John the Baptist, when it's the, the voice that crieth in the wilderness and says, what shall I cry? Cry, all flesh is grass, and all the goodness thereof is as the flower of the field that withereth and fadeth, because the spirit of Yahweh hath blowed upon it. Surely the people is grass. And now that, that Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, had breathed down and lighted upon the Lord Jesus Christ as the light of the world and that gross Gentile darkness. And there's a fusion between a sinless man and a sinful man. And together, they were going to complete the glory of God upon the face of the earth. And so, brothers and sisters, we have that hope. Because in that, the result was that, that way to the tree of life that was closed in Genesis was suddenly made open. The Lord Jesus Christ lighted the way to salvation. And God was pleased. The righteousness was in the Son. And righteousness then could be imputed to sinful men that became sons with Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, To wit, that which we read this, this morning, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them 
as he hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God has prepared to declare us righteous, to reconcile us back to him because of what Christ achieved in his, uh, in his resurrection. That is beautiful words, brothers and sisters. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. That's the title, brothers and sisters, of the sons of God. We are made the righteousness of God in him, says 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. They are absolutely phenomenal words, brothers and sisters. The last thing that we'll look at this morning, brothers and sisters, is the event of the transfiguration. Once again, we have the voice of God through the darkness of that night separating um, our Lord Jesus Christ in glory. Mark chapter 9 says, And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out saying, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. So what we see now is when that voice of God came, he wasn't just declaring the light of, of the world as the Lord Jesus Christ. What happens now when the glory, when the voice of God comes, the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the next phase, brothers and sisters. This is, this is going to be, as it says, for God who hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, says Paul to the Corinthians. So there is our Lord Jesus Christ in glory, standing side by side with the resurrected dead it's a symbol is it not of that that coming time where very shortly the lord of all the earth shall come the trump of god shall sound and the dead in christ shall be raised the glory of god will be revealed you know and when the disciples heard this matthew tells us that they were afraid and they fell on their faces and jesus came and touched them and says arise and be not afraid and in this, these days of turmoil and confusion, brothers and sisters, we need to remember those words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Arise and be not afraid. So the expectation, brothers and sisters, um, in this instance, was, a, it was demonstrating the reward that we have from obedience. Remember in the garden, there was no obedience, it was disobedience. In the baptism, there was that demonstration of obedience. In the resurrected son in type, there was now going to be the reward of obedience. The head of sin would be crushed and the earth restored back to God. But you see, obedience was not going to be just that single act of him dying, but he was rather going to be uh, made holy by the sacrifice and submission of will. Hebrews 10 says this, For when he said, Sacrifice and offerings, um, an offering for sin that thou wouldest not, neither hath thou pleasure in them, which are offered by the law. Then he said, Lo, I come, says Jesus, to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he might establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of Jesus Christ once for all. So just as Jesus Christ was transfigured, that metamorphosis there, of from that sinful flesh, to that um, glorified sinless man, that body of flesh glorified in the, as a spiritual body so that we have that same hope. So the requirement that we see now is that the, the heel has been bruised, but 
also in the bruising of that head and that finality of his um, act of his death, the head of sin was crushed. So what we see now is that God tells us that salvation is perfected through sufferings. Why do I say that? Well, we've already talked about how the heel was bruised and that was going to be continual problem for us through all of our life. But you see, Isaiah 53 tells us, yet it proves, pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, God, has put him to grief. When thou, God, hath made his soul an offering for sin. It pleased God to bruise him. It pleased him to have him in grief. That doesn't mean, brothers and sisters, the father took pleasure in the suffering of his son. Not at all. What it means, brothers and sisters, is he took pleasure in what the sufferings of his son was able to achieve. That's the difference. Through obedience and the putting to death of his will, Jesus gained the victory. He was given the keys of death in the grave. All things in heaven and earth are going to be put under him into subjection to him. And the Lord himself says in the Gospel of John, he says, Therefore doth my Father love me. He loves me because I lay down my life that it might be taken up again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. So yes, it pleased the Lord to bruise him and to put him to grief for the purpose that when he shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So in going through this process, brothers and sisters, the pleasure of Yahweh was going to prosper in his hand because when he shall see the travail of his soul, he shall be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. And he does that by bearing their iniquities, says Isaiah. It's what we remember this morning, brothers and sisters, and what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Upon him he bore the iniquity of us all. He did not suffer instead of us, brothers and sisters, but he suffered with us. For it becometh us to fulfil all righteousness. So in this way he became the author of eternal salvation unto all those who obey him. So brothers and sisters, we are an extension, therefore, of the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, the sufferings of his body. Hebrews says, so therefore let us now go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. And that's the principle of Timothy, brothers and sisters, because if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. So the result, brothers and sisters, of the way of the tree of life was revealed in glory. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, having made peace through the blood of the cross, by him reconcile all things again unto himself. Isn't that wonderful words, aren't they, brothers and sisters? So was God pleased to put this sacrifice? Absolutely. God was well pleased, and he even demonstrated that in, in showing his son in glory. 
And the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 2, For it became him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. And so, brothers and sisters, in that transfiguration, it shows us that principle that our Lord Jesus Christ brought many sons to glory through his suffering. So obedience that was required was not just a single act, but rather our Lord was made holy by the sacrifice and daily submission of his will. He gave all of his life all of the time, just as our salvation is perfected through suffering, just as Christ's was. Not only have we been created for thy pleasure, says Revelation, but we've also been predestined unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, according to God's good pleasure of his will. And therefore he has made us accepted in the beloved, and we have redemption through his blood, says Ephesians. So brothers and sisters, what the bread and the wine symbolises for us this morning goes far beyond just what we see on the table. We may rest in the great truth that, is in, that God worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. That's what God desires. That's what God makes, makes, makes him happy and well pleased. He can work in us to perform his will and do his good pleasure. And we know, says the psalmist, that Yahweh taketh pleasure in those that fear him. So what is God's good pleasure, brothers and sisters? The Lord Jesus Christ tells us that in Luke chapter 12. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Something, brothers and sisters, that we can't earn, is it? It's God's gift. Fear not, little flock. Remember the disciples are based on the Mount of Transfiguration? Come up. Be not afraid. It's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So brothers and sisters, with joy and wonder, may we very soon hear those words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. We hope this talk helped you in your walk. If you would like to hear more, please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review in Apple Podcast or whichever service you are using to help more people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this particular talk, please share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. For show notes on the talk you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm gct or check the show notes section of your podcast player. Please share your thoughts on the talk from this week on our Facebook or Instagram pages where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks, on Twitter where we are at GCT underscore podcast, or leave a comment on our YouTube channel where these talks are posted as well.
If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to our email at goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media accounts. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.